tired of having to do this because you don't know which cable is which? Well then, make sure you save your bread ties from your loaves of bread and then use them as labels. To the one person in history who completely finished all of the spices and the spice rack that he got for a wedding present, you can now use it as an office supply Lazy Susan. Please pass the tax. Say what? Just one more. Thank you. When a coworker asks you for a digital file, hand them a floppy disk. Because that's hilarious. Here's that file. My name is Steve, and I am our prison location pastor here at Fountain Springs Church. I want to take just a moment, and I want to thank our pastor, David, for giving me this opportunity to come up here and share with you what God's been pressing on my heart recently. So I have to welcome everybody over at our east and our west locations, everybody joining us around the world online, and especially to my brothers over at RCMU. Welcome, guys. But I have to welcome somebody else today because for the very first time over at Juvenile Services Center here in Rapid City, the fellows in cell block A have been joining us through this series. So they're joining us today and we are so glad that you are here with us today, guys. Now I get to talk about what I believe is probably the most critical life hack and that is how to recover. Have you ever been in a situation where someone you were close to was struggling through something? Maybe, maybe a divorce or the loss of someone close to them or maybe an addiction. Did you know what to do? Did you know what to say? I'm hoping today I can share with you some of the tools that I picked up working in recovery. But more than that, I'm hoping that we see today that we all make mistakes. We all have to recover from those mistakes. It's just a reality of life. And so to give you a little bit of background about what I do, we are one church that meets in multiple locations. One of those locations takes place inside our local minimum security prison. Every week we come in and we transform their visit room into a church. We set up carpets and a stage and speakers, and about 60 guys attend and serve there. They call Fountain Springs their home. Because here's what you got to understand is this is not just some prison ministry where we go and we tell inmates about Jesus and we feel really good about ourselves when we go home. It's a full-scale location. Just like East or West, they have their own next steps corner. They've got their own volunteer teams. They've got their own location pastor. We don't have a coffee shop. I really wish we did. <laughs> but it's a full location. And when those guys leave prison, they're already a part of a church home. They're already fountain springers. And they can come here and feel at home. And so as I walk through life with these guys, as I get to counsel them and walk them through 12-step programs and help them transition back into society... I get to see very real, very powerful life change 
every single day. And as you can imagine, I've got so many stories that I wanted to share, and I, we don't want to be here all day, so I'm going to stick to just one. So I have to tell you about my friend Dan. Dan's childhood started out a little rough. His dad was abusive and mean, and shortly after Dan was born, he walked out. Growing up, Dan's mom didn't know how to deal with a preteen boy, and so he went to live with grandma and grandpa. And he'll tell you that was one of the best experiences of his life. His grandparents are awesome people who raised him well. But like a lot of guys, he grew up struggling with fighting and partying. And then he got to college. And here's the thing, guys. Dan is one of those guys. Dan's, Dan's a huge guy. He's a big dude. And he's one of those guys you look at and you go, man, that guy's got to be a football player. He's just got to. And when Dan got to college, he was accepted to Grand Valley State University in Michigan on a full-ride football scholarship. He had hopes. He had dreams. He could have potentially played pro someday. But something happened. See, in his freshman year in college, Dan was driving his van down the highway. And as he came to this narrow piece of road with water on either side, a woman coming the other direction went into a diabetic shock and her car drifted out of control. It drifted over into Dan's lane and clipped his back end, spinning him out of control. He wound up in oncoming and a 19-year-old girl collided with his vehicle. She died on impact. Dan will tell you that he has had to live with that every single day of his life. And not just that he killed a girl and there was nothing he could do about it, nothing he could do to stop it. But that girl was the older sister of one of his close friends. And in the aftermath of the accident, Dan's friends started calling him killer and murderer. They started threatening him on a daily basis. Life got rough. But she wasn't the only thing that died that day. See, after the impact, Dan's vehicle flipped over the top of hers and rolled three times. He doesn't remember the accident. He said it happened so fast he woke up in a hospital to doctors telling him that the ligaments in his knee had been severed, that he'd never play football again. In an instant, he lost everything. He lost his friends. The community around him turned on him. He lost his scholarship, and along with it, his hopes and dreams. His life started spiraling out of control as he went from a life with a future, with hope, to this life of chaos, of violence and fighting, of drug use and dealing drugs. And it wasn't very long before he wound up in a prison in South Dakota. Over the course of time, he got transferred to our unit in Rapid City, and that's where I met Dan. Dan had a couple of friends who came to church, and he would come down with them, and he would sit, and he would listen, and then, like a lot of us, he got up and went home, went back to his room, and that was where it ended. But over the last year, I've gotten to see that change in Dan. 
as he started attending Celebrate Recovery in prison, started seeking after a relationship with Jesus. He started serving on our volunteer team, setting up and tearing down every Sunday. He started changing the way he looked at things. He's now one of the first people to invite somebody to come to Celebrate Recovery. He takes extra time on Sunday morning to go up and down the halls and wake guys up so they don't miss church. Dan's life has changed drastically. And just a few months ago, I got to baptize Dan in prison. Just before I baptized him, Dan told me this. He said, if God can change me, he can change and forgive everyone. See, you guys may not realize this, but in our church, we have gang members and drug dealers and con artists and Green Bay fans, and they are all finding a relationship with Jesus and walking away from that life. Yeah. But seriously, we have seen so many men accept Jesus in prison. We have baptized dozens in prison. And now, after almost three years at RCMU, at every single location we have, at every single service we have, there are men who used to live there serving on our volunteer teams. Yes. That's life change. And so you might be thinking, well, sure, Steve, I see how those people need recovery. But I've never done drugs. I've never been arrested. I've never done anything illegal. Which, can we be real for a second? I've seen the way some of y'all drive. <laughs> it's not true. But really... We all make mistakes. We have to recover from those mistakes. I'm a dad. I've got two boys. My oldest, Jack, is five, and my younger son, Eli, will be three soon. And we've got a little girl on the way. Please, please pray for me. I've got a lot of, I got a lot of pink coming in my house. I don't know what to do with that. It's freaking me out a little bit. But over the 4th of July, we were, we were out celebrating with some friends at their house, and my, my oldest son, Jack, was playing with one of those rubber snakes. You know, the ones that are just a little too realistic. The ones that you set it on somebody's chair and they're guaranteed to jump 10 feet in the air. And he's holding the thing by the tail and I kind of noticed this. And so me being who I am, I thought I had a great idea. And I walked up to him and I grabbed the snake by the head and I went right in his face. And it was right about that moment that I realized this was a really, really dumb idea. My son ran away from me and kind of stood at a distance watching me. And I had to spend probably a good 10, 15 minutes explaining to him, it's not real, Jack. It's just a toy. Look, it's rubber. And he, he thought it was dead. That concerns me why my son thought he was playing with a dead snake. <laughs> but we got through it. We got to a point where he finally understood it was fake. And then he ran around scaring people with it. And... Now there's a snake obsession in my house, so I probably have to recover with my wife. <laughs> but I made a mistake, 
And then I had to recover from that mistake. Paul talks about this in a letter he wrote to the Romans. He said, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, David gives us all this great information. He's always got the ancient Greek and what this meant and what that meant. And he went to seminary and I didn't do that. I'm sorry, guys. But I did do a little bit of study on this because I was was intrigued. And so this this word right here, all, you want to know what that means in the original Greek text, all. It means literally all. (laughs) All. Everyone, every single one of us, we sin and we fall short of the glory of God. We make mistakes. None of us is perfect. And so I've got a story that I found that comes from the Bible, and I, I think it helps us walk through this. So this, this story takes place in a town called Jericho. And in Jericho, there's a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is kind of a big deal. Normally, when you hear people like me talk about him, that's not what you hear. But he is. Zacchaeus is kind of a big deal. See, he's a tax collector, but he's not just any tax collector. He's the chief tax collector. And so his job, basically, is to collect what you owe to the government. But there's a catch. He gets to add on his paycheck to what you owe the government. That sounds like kind of a good deal to some of us, right? Get to choose what we make. Needless to say, he wasn't the most popular guy. Imagine for a minute, just think about the people we see in the news or on TV, and we, we look at them, and they've got money and big houses and fancy cars, and they're dressed well. And we, I mean, we probably most of the time don't like the way they got their money. We don't like the way they got where they are, a lot of the people that we're seeing there. But we look at what they have, and we go, man, they've got it together, though. Zacchaeus was that guy. He looked like he had it all together. And so Jesus comes to town, and Zacchaeus wants to see him. He wants to see this guy, Jesus, that everybody's been talking about. And so he goes out, and he can't see over the crowd, so he does something I think is just a little odd. He walks down the road a little ways, and he climbs up a tree. Well, people do that all the time here, huh? I I think that's weird. I, I... Strange, I would say even desperate, that he climbed a tree to see Jesus. See, I think that Zacchaeus felt like he was missing something. Like there was something just not right. See, sometimes the most put-together people are the most empty. And so our, our story picks up here. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. I want you to remember that. If you're a note taker, if you're taking notes, write that down. By the way, Jesus loves note takers. I don't know if you knew that. Jesus loves note takers. He called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. He called him by name. That tells me something about Jesus, because in that time, it wasn't normal for a stranger to call you by your first name. But Jesus calls Zacchaeus by his first name. It tells me that he knew him. He knew who he was. He knew what he'd done, every lie that he'd ever told, 
every, spent, any, every penny that he'd ever stolen. He knew it all, and yet he calls him. He says, hey, I want to spend time with you. See, God doesn't define us by our past. We do, right? We've all met the guy who's 30 or 40, and he introduces himself to you and says, I was the quarterback in high school. Right? Or the track star. Or maybe it's, maybe it's not that fun. Maybe, maybe it's I'm an addict. Maybe it's I'm a victim. Because we like to carry those titles from our past along with us. We hang on to those and we, we think that's where our identity comes from. But that's not how God works. And so the story goes on. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. There's something that you need to know about me. It's that I'm married way, way up. Anyone who knows my wife, Katie, knows that that I married way up. I married my best friend. And we started dating in my junior year of high school. And we dated for about four years. And then we got married. Next month, actually in just a couple of weeks, we'll celebrate seven years of marriage. Yes. Yes. Clap for that. Because here's the thing, it wasn't an easy road at times. Because I can relate to Zacchaeus. See, it was about four years ago that I had to sit my wife down and I had to have the most difficult discussion of my entire life with her. As I told Katie that I was an addict. I had to explain to her that I'd been lying to her for seven years. See, I was addicted to pornography, and I had been for most of my life. I, I have to stop here for just a second. Because this is something that we glaze over. We pretend it's not that big a deal, that it's normal, and it's not. Okay, so... If you currently view pornography, and I'm not just talking to the guys in the room, okay? Because this affects women too. If you currently view pornography, please stop kidding yourself. This is not some small thing that you do in private and it'll never come out. It's not some little thing you do by yourself and it'll never hurt the people you love. Pornography is one of the most destructive forces in this world. Pornography is one of the most dangerous addictions you can ever face. It has the power to take everything from you. It can destroy your parenting, your marriage, your relationships, your career. Take it from someone who almost lost everything. And young people, students especially, if you're telling yourself it's not a big deal, I'll quit when I find that special someone, or I get engaged, or I get married, you're wrong. Because I told myself that over and over again. I lied to myself over and over and over again. And I had the perfect woman right in front of me. 
and I couldn't stop. So if that's you, if right now you are caught up in pornography addiction, if you're a slave to sexual bondage, please seek help. Talk to someone here on staff. Come and join us Friday night at Celebrate Recovery and find the freedom that Jesus has for you because I've experienced it. It's real. There is freedom in Jesus and only in him. But I remember the look in my wife's eyes as I told her how I betrayed her. I saw the hurt and the pain, but there was something else there too. There was love. The last thing I expected to see, love. As she looked me in the eyes and she said, you were forgiven before you ever did it. I'll never forget those words. You see, Katie showed me grace that night the same way that Jesus shows grace to Zacchaeus. Because God's grace does not follow our rules. Our rules say he hurt me, hurt him back. Our rules say he lied to you, get away from him. Our rules say you can't trust him, walk out and don't ever look back. That's the way this world functions, but God doesn't work that way. In that moment, Katie had every right to walk out on me. She could have left me and never looked back, and she would have been completely in the right after the despicable thing that I'd done to her. But she loved me too much to give up on me. She loved us too much to give up on me. The same way, God, Jesus doesn't give up on Zacchaeus. He had every right to keep on walking. In fact, Jesus is God. He had every right to condemn Zacchaeus, but he didn't. He loved him too much to give up on him. And so instead he called him because our God is a God of second chances. He's a God who never gives up on us. But our story doesn't end there. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, notice he doesn't pretend it didn't happen. If I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. So I want you to see the lesson in this story because I could preach a whole series on recovery. But we're in a life hack series. And so I want to give you some practical life hacks. You've heard 12-step programs, right, where we st stretch it out into 12 steps and give you 12 steps to walk through life. I think we can boil that down to five that we see actively in the story that I think are essential to walking through recovery. And so the first of those steps is to seek. You see, Jesus, Zacchaeus didn't just sit, waiting, hoping that something would change. 
He didn't sit back thinking, well, I'm right and everybody else needs to change or Jesus needs to come in here and change stuff for me. He got up, walked out his door and climbed a stinking tree to find Jesus. You see, we'll always be stuck if we think we're always right. We will always be stuck if we think we are always right. And that leads us into the next step, which is to accept. Because Zacchaeus didn't hesitate when he heard Jesus. Do you remember what it said? It said, he quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. He didn't hesitate. We got to accept, if we're going to walk through this, we have to accept that Jesus sees everything. He knows our thoughts. He knows what we've done. He knows all of it, and he loves us anyway. And once we accept that, we can start moving on. That takes us to my next step, which is to admit. See, Zacchaeus doesn't try to pretend that nothing's wrong. He admits that he made a mistake. If you've ever seen a 12-step program anywhere, the first and most important step is always admit. Because we can't accept the forgiveness that Jesus has given us if we're trying to pretend there's nothing to be forgiven of. We can't focus on a relationship with Jesus if we're pretending the past never happened. Because I got news for you, the past did happen. It's there, it's real, it happened. No matter how hard you try, you can't get rid of it. No matter how hard you try to stuff it down, it'll still be there, sitting in the back of your mind, weighing you down, holding you back from Jesus, driving a wedge between you and Jesus and your recovery. Step four is to make amends. And this, I love the ferocity with which Zacchaeus attacks his amends. It's the most powerful part of this story to me. And did you notice no one told him to do it? No one said, hey, you got to get your act cleaned up and then come back. Jesus didn't say, hey, go make things right with people and then I'll spend time with you. It happened the other way around, in fact. And then he goes after that amends with so much power. Do you remember what it said? He said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, and I'll give back four times what I took from people. I don't know how you are at math. I'm not great, but I'm pretty confident he's broke. I'm pretty sure he's got nothing left after that. That's going all out for Jesus. That's taking an amends seriously. And the Bible's pretty clear on this. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There's that idea again, everyone. If it is possible, live at peace with everyone. That's going to mean sometimes saying that you're sorry. 
sometimes it's going to mean admitting that you are wrong. Couples, can I help you out? Sometimes it's going to mean letting it go even though you're not wrong. You're welcome. I just helped your marriage. If there's nothing else you take home, that should be it. The last step, I believe, is the most important. To live in relationship. To live in relationship with God. You see, if there's one thing I've learned walking through recovery and working in prisons, it's that if a person truly devotes themselves to a relationship with Jesus, a real, genuine, honest relationship with Jesus, all that stuff in their life, the grief, the addiction, the overeating, all those things start to fade away. Because if you turn away from that and you start looking at Jesus, you can't see him anymore. The more your focus is on Jesus, the more you're looking towards him, you may see over, the, over your shoulder those things in the past. There may be some temptation, but the more you focus over here, the less you see that and the less you're drawn to it. Because here's the thing. All those things we see on the outside, the divorce, the overeating, the addiction, all of those things, they have something in common. They're like a scab over the wound of something much deeper inside of our hearts because they're all attached to a hurt inside of our heart. And the more we try to medicate the scab, the less we can get down to that wound beneath. When I tell people what I do for a living, when I tell them that I'm a prison pastor, I almost always get the same response. Oh, that must be really hard. I say, no. No, I love what I do. You can't imagine the things I get to see. But I understand where they get that idea from. See, the media has done a phenomenal job of teaching us about the incarcerated, right? They're monsters. They're a menace to society. They are out to get you. Hide your children. Because they are bad people. They don't want to change. They can't change. And they won't change. They are out to get you. We've seen the billboards, right? Wanted. Do not approach. You want to know the truth? The truth is, the incarcerated are just people who have made mistakes. Just like us. They've made mistakes. The difference between us and them is that the consequence of their mistake was prison. But a lot of us have faced our own consequences. In fact, a lot of us carry our prison around with us every day. I, I know I said one story, but I have a friend, John, who God gave him so much grace and changed his life so drastically. And now John spends all of his time and effort sharing that grace with the people around him. So I want you to see this. Take a look at John's story.
Before I found Christ, I think my life was just empty and, and hollow. I uh, pretty much tried to do whatever I want, whenever I wanted, and just felt like there's no purpose and just lived in really a dark place. There was all kinds of stuff going on inside of me and battles I was facing with alcohol and drugs and not being a very good father to my daughter or my son. And uh, really like I was lost. I was just in, in a really dark place. I didn't have any faith in anything. I just did what I wanted when I wanted. And it led me into just trying to fill this void with, with drugs and alcohol. And uh, it led to me getting getting really dependent on uh, methamphetamine in my basement and just just trying to fill something that I couldn't fill, like this hole in my heart. I remember my daughter ran away, and uh, this was probably the second time, and uh, I was just using more and more drugs, hiding it, no one was knowing it, and uh, I was at the point where everything I had, I was fighting and arguing so much that everything I had, I, I was ready to just walk away from. I, if I wouldn't have had a house, and kids, I literally would have ran and just got away from it all. And uh, I went into work. I talked to my boss, Tim, and I told him, I'm like, I'm done. This is just too much. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I remember him looking up at me and saying, uh, you're the man of your family. You need to be the man God, God has called you to be and uh, just take, take control and lead your family where they need to be. And I went home and I had another argument with my wife. And I remember laying in my basement and uh, in the dark and just laying there and saying to God, I know there's more to life than this. I know, I know there's a purpose behind it. It's not just this getting up every day, working and fighting and feeling heartbroken. My heart has, was literally broken. Like I could feel pain in my chest. And I, I remember saying that. And then uh, we started going to church and all this stuff, like the people that I was hanging out with and doing drugs with were slowly pulled out of my life. And all this stuff was changing around me. And uh, I remember going to the sermon and it was the, the prodigal child and it was about the father having his arms open for the child and at that time it was huge to me because it was what I needed to do with my daughter and just have grace and see that I was having problems too it wasn't just her going through stuff it was just amazing the way my life just started to turn around and I started getting involved more in the church I felt the lift up it was like people were speaking life into me and uh, I, it, it kept me going and the prison ministry came along and uh, I got involved in that and we had classes and uh, me and my wife were two of the first people that were in the first group to get involved in that, and, and I got to be in for two or three of them. And then uh, they did my paperwork on the background check, and it showed up that I was a felon, and that I'd been a former inmate 18 years ago. So they just kind of pulled the plug on that. And when I first initially heard it, I took it as like, that's just not my, my calling, God. That's not what God put on my life. I still wanted to serve, and I was big into serving, so I continued to serve on the parking team. But I could always feel that like there was something else that I needed to do and that God was calling me to do, even though they'd pulled me from it. So I just felt this pull towards the prison and all of a sudden, literally all these doors did start opening and uh, they approved my paperwork. I gotta get in there and uh, I was allowed to be in there and me and my wife were serving again and it was, I could just feel, it just felt right to me. It felt like that's where I needed to be. I, I could connect well with, with the, men in there because I've, I've literally walked in their shoes. Before Jesus, I wasn't the man I was supposed to be. I was, I would put all the finances and all of the big burdens on my wife and let her try to figure those out and would not sit down with my 
my son and be the father that I was called to be. Just not be the man at work I was supposed to be. After Jesus, now I know I need to, I need to step up and just do what he's called me to be, you know, to be the leader my wife asked me and wants me to be, that Jesus wants me to be, the, the father that he wants me to be. That's what he calls us to do, man, and that's what's awesome, and it's why I do what I do. I love John's story, the honesty that he has, but also I think it's the perfect example of the power of God's grace that God's always reaching out and it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter how far you've run away, he's always there, he's always calling you back and you have never gone too far for God to reach you. So I don't know where you're at. Maybe you relate to John and you've been fighting a battle and you feel so lost. Maybe you're struggling through a divorce or the loss of a child. Maybe you can relate to me. And you're fighting that battle with pornography and sexual addiction. And you're tired and you're worn out and you feel like giving up. If that's you and you're ready to let Jesus into that fight, you're ready to let him walk alongside you and be a part of this with you, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna give you an opportunity to pray with me, to let him into your heart, to let him be a part of this with you. If you're ready, if you're willing, so will you pray with me? God, I thank you. I thank you so much that you see all that we are. See every lie, every choice, everything that we ever do. You see right through it all to our heart and you love us anyway. And that not, not a single one of us can deserve you, can come close to you on our own but you call us anyways. You're always there reaching out your hand, calling us in. God, that's awesome. I love you. And God, the power to see that you can take someone like John who is trapped in addiction and you can bring him to a place where he's able to give grace and hope to people. To see how you can take someone like Dan who was lost and lost everything and went down a bad path, but now he's got a chance to share about you with other people. God, the fact that you can take a screw up like me and make him into a pastor, that's amazing. And if you can do that, how much more can you do for the rest of us? And so God, tonight, I've got some people joining us who they don't have that relationship with you yet. They don't know you yet, but they're fighting a losing battle. And I think some of them are ready, God. So I'm gonna bring them with me and we're gonna pray this together. God, I am sorry 
for the mistakes and the choices I've made. I'm sorry for rejecting you. God, I'm tired of fighting this battle all by myself. I'm tired and I'm worn out and I feel like giving up. I need help. I need you, Jesus. And so right here, right now, I'm asking you, Jesus, come into my heart. Walk alongside me and be a part of this battle with me. Jesus, as I choose right here and now that I believe in you. I believe you are God. I believe you died to forgive all my sins. And I believe that you want a relationship with me, that you love me in spite of everything and that your grace is perfect. And we pray this in Jesus' name.